The show is about sorting through the internet-driven advice madness that exists in business today. And I'm sure you all experience that. And as we all know, the great thing about the internet is anybody can write anything about anything. And the problem with the internet is anybody can write anything about anything. We also have to recognize that published practices are very, very different than the phrase best practices. This is something that industry really is starting to recognize. There isn't anyone that's going to publish their essentially competitive advantage understanding on the internet for everyone to copy because essentially that competitive advantage disappears. So this broadcast will provide to our listening audience practice-based insights into business transformation. And we're hearing that term a lot. As a matter of fact, the most common term we're hearing right now is digital transformation. And throughout our weeks together, I'll bring you some history about this. This isn't the first time we've addressed these types of things out there. We're going to be talking about organizational transformation. In other words, it's not just enough that you throw a bunch of technology at things as, as we uh, go into the future, but the organization has to adapt to these things as we move forward. And of course, the thing that's most common to people that they hear about is technology transformation. Now, if we look very quickly at those three phrases, what we've coined is the term bio, B-I-O, engineering or transformation. The B standing for the business has to look at the future a little bit differently. The I is information, the technology essentially, the information content and the way that it's distributed inside the company and outside. And the O is organization, the human aspect of things. And as we'll find out through our broadcasts, the organizational transformation is probably the hardest for people to, uh, to, to look at that's there. The broadcast is geared toward practiced activities. So what we'll be discussing with you is not theory or a body of knowledge in general, but things that have worked for Fortune 1000 companies throughout the last few years, all the way back to essentially when we began these activities in 1972. So business managers, business executives, and of course, practitioners and staff are bombarded by these things every day. And essentially, everyone brings utopian solutions to your organization. And you sort of scratch your head and say, well, which ones out there are the ones that we actually have to look at? And so this is a tough situation for most organizations today, whether you're a small entrepreneurial organization, and especially if you are a large organization with thousands and thousands of employees and billions and billions of dollars worth of revenues, the landscape is changing very, very quickly. The show is no jargon, just human communication. We will try to work through some of the terms out there that are frankly confusing. And one of the biggest things that you see is phrases being used out there without definitions. So if you go to your favorite search engine and you look up the phrase, for example, business transformation, you'll find a lot of people start talking about it without defining it. We talk about technology change, whatever that is, organizational change, whatever that is. And if we look at these phrases, it sort of look, looks like looking at a book that has a table of contents, but no content in it. Of course, you can't do much with that. 
So we're going to bring you not only phrases out there that may be popular, but the definition of those phrases, so you can sort of understand how all of this fits in. And that's a practice that we all should be starting to look at. When somebody says, well, our organization is gearing up for digital transformation, my most common phrase that I use after that is, hmm, that's spelled H-M. Hmm, well, what does that actually mean to you? Well, everybody knows what that means. Everybody knows what that means. Well, I don't think that's really the case. So we're going to walk away from the jargon and talk about human communications. You're going to be treated with us as a customer, not a user. That phrase in itself is very, very insulting. And especially when it comes to technology for people, you hear the phrase all the time, well, the business is the user. Well, a bit of humor, hopefully, uh, will come across here. And there's only two pseudo-professions that use the term user to define the people that actually pay the bill. One is the illicit drug trade, and the other is technology. And the parallels are kind of scary. We get them hooked, and we charge them more and more for more and more product, more and more for less product. We get them hooked. We charge them more and more for less product. I hope that humor comes across a little bit, but there's a seriousness in my voice. And that is, it is a different mindset, a customer mindset in digital transformation to me, if somebody's holding up a check in front of me and saying, if you want this check, you've got to do something that is measurable to move my organization from its as-is state to desired state. It's not using an application. It's actually providing business traceable value from the things that you're suggesting that's there. So our philosophy is to provide the audience with insights that can provide true value to both the organization and individuals that face today's and tomorrow's competitive pressures. And hopefully provide a usable takeaway from each of these broadcasts that we're doing. Now, why is this topic so important? We're suggesting that we're moving into a new age, the information age. Now, you may have heard that phrase a little bit before also, again, coming back to phrases. But we're actually moving out of the Internet age into the information age. And we've been tracing this activity, well, frankly, well before I was born, back to the nomadic age. We have actually put together an understanding of these true phrases that we use out there called paradigm shifts, not hype paradigm shifts, but real paradigm shifts. And they started with the nomadic age, went through the agrarian age, the mercantile age. And most organizations are coming out of the more common things that most of us know about, the industrial age. And from the industrial age, we moved into the internet age. And right now, some of you are there now, some of you are moving into this, you're actually moving out of what generally is referred to as the internet age into the information age. And each one of these shifts takes approximately, and it's very difficult to record exactly, 40 to 70 years before it actually takes place. So it's not five minutes by any means. 
It is a period of time that we have to make these shifts. Now, this latest one is what most of us who are fortunately alive today are starting to see. It's the movement from the industrial age through the internet age into the information age. And we have essentially a series of attributes that we can see to help guide you as you're working through these because there's fundamental shifts that are going on uh, in these particular areas. And as a matter of fact, there are 12 different attributes that we have to look at. And each one of these will affect the business that you and I are involved in. Let's start with the first one because it's the most common one that you're probably thinking about as you're moving into this new age. And this phrase information age coming out of the internet age also may be new to you. The industry isn't real happy about hearing these things because essentially it evolves their transformation and their product change also that's there. So the dominant technology in the industrial age was the machine. The dominant technology in the internet age that we're in right now and coming out of, and a lot of organizations once again are moving out of this, is the computer. In the information age, the key thing is going to be information classification. Information classification. So let's look at this for just a moment here to sort of give you an understanding of these things that are going on and the historical perspective that we see for each one of these. In the industrial age, the key thing that we saw there was taking power, whether it was gas, coal, steam, something like that. And that was used to augment human strength. That's really the key of a machine in the industrial age. It allowed organizations and people to do things that they couldn't do themselves because of the human strength involved in that. And so we had machines going on. And the first set of machines were very, very large. And if you ever looked at some of the newsreels from years ago and sometimes decades ago, it was really kind of amazing. You had all of this oil spraying all over the place and these steam things and all the workmen, unfortunately, were covered you know, with grease and things like that. And you had this big steam engine usually that was there that was driving a huge flywheel. That flywheel was the thing that was providing power. And attached to that flywheel, if you could you know, sort of visualize this, was a series of belts, leather belts that were used to transfer the power from this initial machine, this massive machine, to other elements in the factory. And the gating factor for that was essentially the energy loss. The energy loss essentially from the initial big machine to the various other sub-activities that were going on. Now, this may not be real comfortable for everyone. Hopefully it's not too complicated here. I, I, I hope it's not. There's science behind this. And when you look at the ability of something like this, you look at a one-to-many relationship, the science essentially of distribution. You have one big machine, and you have many sources that are going to be using that machine. And so that was the beginning, essentially, of the industrial age. 
and somebody says, boy, is there a better way to do this possibly? Can we take these massive machines that are out there, they're hard to maintain, things like that, and break it down into smaller pieces of energy, essentially distribute that energy to more sources? And the answer was yes. So you essentially have manufacturing work cells. Manufacturing work cells. And with these manufacturing work cells, you now have the ability to distribute the power to various sources. But there's always a consequence of a change. And all of a sudden, now you have many of these energy sources, and you now have to figure out how to configure them. You have to figure out how to configure them so that you can pass essentially sub-assemblies when you're talking about manufacturing pieces to various parts of the plant. So all of a sudden, the mathematics behind this becomes a one-to-many relationship in the initial part of the industrial age. And now we have a many-to-many relationship. That is a geometric increase in complexity. This is something we have to recognize. Again, a geometric increase in complexity. Now, why am I spending so much time on this first one? Because I'm setting the pattern for you to see that we have these characteristics going into the Internet age and now into the information age. The same patterns are appearing, and this is very important to us. So let's just quickly take a look at the same thing in the Internet age that we're coming out of. And in the Internet age, if some of you remember, we had these large computers, and a lot of your organizations still have these. This is not a critique of that. It's just a positioning of where we are in the maturing of the organization. These big mainframes were like what? Like the massive power plants in the industrial age. And we had essentially one large one, and the people that were actually deploying the computer or actually uh, using the programs on the computer were attached to that. Notice the relationship here again, a one-to-many relationship. Fast forward in the internet age, and all of a sudden somebody asked the same type of question. And what was that question? I wonder if we can break this massive machine up into smaller units of work and distribute them around our organization. Ergo, the personal computer. So you see the same type of relationship that we saw in the industrial age beginning in the internet age. And so in the internet age, just like we saw in the industrial age, we saw a transformation going on. And in the beginning of the internet age, we were all using mainframes, and we were connected to those mainframes by these little tiny little wires, and we were sitting in front of a clickety-clickety keyboard. And again, from a mathematics standpoint, we had a one-to-many relationship. And in the industrial age, we essentially had engineering discipline and engineering rigor to figure out how to essentially route all of these parts in the plant because you now have a many-to-many relationship. 
how do you get this part to that location, which is on the third floor, then going back on the second floor, then back on the second floor, and then the third floor, back on the first floor, then on the first floor again, et cetera, et cetera. How do you route things through there? Engineering discipline. And what came out of the industrial age was the concept of manufacturing work cells. And that's what we have today. So now we're in the internet age. We began with the same thing, a one-to-many relationship. And then somebody said, hey, I got this great idea no one ever thought about before. Why don't we break this massive machine up into smaller pieces? And probably all of you listening are probably sitting in back of one of these, or you could be on a, uh, essentially a, a mobile device, but essentially you're on a personal computer, a smaller unit of computing power. You now have, just like we have in the industrial age, a complication, a benefit, of course, but a complication, and that's now you have a many-to-many relationship. But here's the issue, unfortunately, ladies and gentlemen. Again, a little bit difficult to recognize the Internet was never engineered. It evolved, and it's evolving now. There is no baseline for addressing and managing change. My apologies for that harshness that may, that may sound there. This is something we have to recognize. And this is even more harsh when I say it. Get over it. The hackers have won. And the hackers are going to continue to win until we recognize there is no baseline for addressing and managing change. If something is wiggled over here, we have no idea what the effect of that wiggle is somewhere else. And of course, in the technology business, we call those tweaks. We'll just tweak this a little bit. I'm sure it won't have any problem at all there. Are you kidding me? When you don't have any baseline for addressing and managing change, you have no idea. And of course, as the phrase goes, we have to be right every time. The hackers only have to be right once. This is a massive, massive issue. And in future broadcasts, we'll get into the ways that we can address this chaos that we're seeing right now because it's not going to get any better until we change the maturity level, change the maturity level of how we actually use technology. Now let's move forward in the same analogy of the dominant technology for just a little bit more here. We're moving into the information age and the dominant technology, if I can use that phrase, is not the computer, it's information classification. It's going to be the science, the science of figuring out how to classify stuff, (laughs) things, so that you and I can sort it out, have traceability and transparency to its information. How do you know what it is? I'm sure all of you are using your favorite search engines out there to find things that are out there. Is it really helpful when that particular search engine comes back and says there's 11,453,000 references here? And all of you probably do the same thing. And frankly, I do this a lot. I very rarely look past the first page. Now, in another broadcast, once again, as we move forward, we'll chat about how actually things get on that first page, and that may frighten some of you. 
But what's on the first page may not be the most accurate information that you need. And in order to address that, we need a different way to classify stuff. And we have a great example of that. And that great example of being able to classify stuff is something that some people don't even remember, uh, some of you and that are a bit younger than I am, for example, and I'm, I'm just joking a little bit. Anybody remember a library? <laughs> it had books in it. Anybody remember what a book was? Physical books. The key to the library was not how popular something was, but it was based on classification of information. Classification of information. And behind the library was the Dewey Decimal System. And Mr. Dewey was quite a brilliant man. He figured out a classification structure that allowed you and I to access things, not how popular things were, but how it was classified correctly. So I'm just going to throw a number out there. Please don't challenge me as to what that number means. But in the Dewey Decimal System, 3.1.4.9 was uh, rocket ships going to the moon or something like that. And everything about a rocket ship going to the moon or to whatever it was, was in that bin, so to speak, that was there. And any time anybody wrote about it, it would be essentially vetted by a librarian, if you remember who that was, essentially, and they actually classified that information so you and I could retrieve it without regards to its usage or, once again, how its popularity. And that concept is going to be coming up in future broadcasts about how searches are done today on the Internet versus a true classification system like the Dewey Decimal System. So the sciences that we're looking at are library science to figure out how we classify this vast amount of stuff that's out there so that you and I can retrieve it based on understanding. The other thing about a library that was unique is that when we put something into the library, it didn't change its state. It stayed the same. Sometimes it was good, sometimes it wasn't. So there was a consistency in there. That thing that you took out, whether it was a book or a publication or a magazine, you could take it out on Tuesday, you could take it out six months from now, you could take it out five years from now, and it had the same state. And so the phrase that's used, that the, there was a long tail consistency. In other words, the same information was there day to day. And some of you have probably experienced that on your favorite search engine. One day you put in a search term that you're using, you get a certain list of things. Another day goes by, you say, wait a minute, well, what is this now? And because of various things that are going on, as we'll discuss over the weeks together, it changes. Well, how good is that? We don't have a consistency and understanding of what's going on. So information classification is going to be the dominant technology that we need out there to sort out the information madness that we see right now. Let's really look at it and think about how do we know, how do we know that something out there has a factual base 
and a phrase that's quite contemporary and of, of, of late in the 2018 and 2019 timeframes, of course, is fake news. Well, let's ask a different question. Let's take that a little differently and say, what is correct news? That question to me is as important as anything else. Well, maybe correct and unfake mean the same thing. I don't know. But I'm looking for correct news, accurate news. And that is something that we need to look at. And that has characteristics also. It has traceability and transparency. And these are two phrases that we'll also see coming up in the information age. Where did it come from and what was the source? Is it a trusting source? And is that trusting source competent? Not only a trusting source, but do they have the ability to put that fact out there and actually that fact is true? Fascinating. So the first age attribute that we've described is the dominant technology. And I gave you essentially the three recent ages that we're talking about. The industrial age, the internet age, and the information age. The next attribute that we're looking at is what I refer to as the science. The science. And what would be an example of the science that we have in that particular age? In the industrial age, it was mechanical engineering. Engineering in general but more specifically, mechanical engineering. And there's a body of knowledge that was gained during the industrial age that allowed things to be done that humans hadn't thought about before. And that essentially was the mechanical engineering activities. It didn't happen overnight. It wasn't based essentially by conjecture, People getting together and saying, can you live with this? Well, of course not. I can't live with this. It's either correct or not. It was rigorous understanding and knowledge that had traceability to fact. Not opinion, not by essentially 27 people getting together and voting, but seeing that essentially something was thought about. There was science, equations, and mathematics and things like that behind it. And it produced the same positive result time and time again. That's the key to a discipline, a science, a profession. And of course, in the industrial age, it was mechanical engineering. In the internet age, the science was and is today computer science. That phrase unfortunately, is a little bit loose also because to some people, it means building computers. To some people, it means essentially building programs, software. To some people, it's a combination of those. To some people, it's a series of theoretical activities going on. There really is not a clear, unfortunately, definition of that particular science even now in the internet age. So we sort of know we're in it. What's the old phrase? You know, if you, you know, if you run across something, you know, it's X, Y, Z, whatever that is. So we sort of know it's about computer science, but two things. One, is it really science? 
So if we look at bachelor's and master's degrees, for example, at various prestigious universities around the country and around the world, there's even an inconsistency there as to what CS is, computer science is, that's there. So we basically know it's about a combination of hardware, programming of that hardware, networking of those things together to bring something to somebody. I wish I could even come up with a better definition than that, but that's really what it is. Some hardware that you can actually make do things through software to a group of individuals through a network. And that's about all we can talk about. There's a lot of pieces there, as you can tell. There's human elements. There's technological elements. There's programming or logic elements that go along with that. In the information age, the science is going to be ontological science, the study of ontologies. And this phrase is now getting a lot of attention because that is a science that is around us in a day-in and day-out basis, even though we may not recognize it. Your lives and my life is around ontologies. We are surrounded by these things, but we don't sort of see them. And so we'll give you some understanding of that in, in just a little bit. The ontological science groups things by likeness. So we have essentially green leafy vegetables all grouped together. We have high caloric vegetables grouped together. We have high protein substances grouped together. We have various types of groupings, and that is essentially the concept of an ontology. And as we'll see in just a little bit, this is something that we're surrounded by except for technology because we're moving from the Internet age essentially to the information age. And so as we see this shift, we can essentially move forward in that direction that's there. We were chatting about the characteristics of the information age, and we call that ontological science. And I give you a hint that this particular science is all around us. So what is this? This is a massively important concept as we move into the information age. It has been a concept. We just haven't recognized it as much as the need that we see now because of the massive amount of stuff that's out there. I love using the word stuff rather than the word data. Data is actually the representation of the things that you and I are interested in. It's a technology issue, how we store it and where we store it and how big it is and small it is that's there. What you and I need in our daily lives is stuff. That's what we work with. We work with stuff. So what is this crazy concept of an ontology? So an ontology groups things together by likeness. So let's talk about a salad bar for just a moment. We have a salad bar. Let's say there's 16 different containers on there, 16 different containers. 
And you have your uh, romaine lettuce, you have your iceberg lettuce, you've got your uh, uh, carrots and garbanzo beans, and you've got some chicken, and you've got some et cetera, et cetera. You know what I'm talking about. You've all seen these types of things that are there. 16 elements. How do you present that to your customer? Well, some of you would say, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put those 16 elements together based on caloric content. I'm going to put on the left-hand side the high-calorie stuff, the sort of medium-calorie stuff in the middle, and the low-calorie stuff on the right side. Some of you that may be running a salad bar may say, no, that's not the way to do that. We're going to do this essentially by protein. High-protein stuff, medium-protein stuff, low-protein stuff. Some of you are going to say, no, we want to maximize our revenue. Nothing wrong with that. So what we're going to do is we're going to put the high weight stuff that costs a lot of money in the front of the salad bar, the little less stuff in the middle, and the real light stuff in the back that's hard to reach to. I'm not trying to be evil here, but what I'm showing you is different classification systems. Different classification systems. And what the key is, we can provide all of these different types of views to our customer And nothing really is changing. And we can test various things out. The lettuce isn't changing. The garbanzo beans aren't changing. The chicken isn't changing. It's where we locate it. It's classification. And there's a science behind that called ontologies. Now, when I said we are surrounded by these things, except for technology, unfortunately, it's because of, once again, the maturing of the profession and maturing of the science. So where else do you see ontologies? Let's walk into a big box store, Home Depot or Lowe's, something like that. You walk into those stores, they're ontologies. And in their domain, they figured out how to present their products to their potential customers in a way that they believe will maximize the usefulness, and possibly the the profitability. So you have the lumber department, and within the lumber department, you've got two-by-fours, and you have doors, and you've got uh, a wall siding, and you've got uh, plywood and those types of things. And then next to that, you have windows. You have little windows and big windows and metal windows and plastic windows and things like that. Ontologies, groups of things together. That analogy Isn't comfortable for you? How about walking into a grocery store? Ontologies. You have essentially the canned goods section. And in the canned goods section, you've got the green beans, and you've got the corn, and you've got the beets uh, classified together. And then you go to another section of the grocery store and the dairy section. And within the dairy section, you have essentially the milk products and you have the yogurt products and you have the butter products and you've got the XYZ products that are there. Ontologies, groups of things together, groups of things together. You go into a department store, clothing store, organized by, a a certain store will organize by brand. Here are all the XYZ brands, the QRS brands, the TUV brands. Somebody else organizes by men's casual wear men's uh, uh, formal wear, women's formal wear, women's casual wear. Somebody else may say by brand. We've, somebody else may say by color. 
here's all the blue dresses, no matter what the brands are. Here's all the yellow dresses, no matter what the brands are. Here's all the black suits, no matter what the brands are. These are all groups of things together. Please notice that our lives are surrounded by the concept of ontologies with the exception, unfortunately, of technology because most technologists practice what's called hierarchies. It's a lesser what? It's a lesser maturity. It's different. Now, what's the difference? The difference is it is parts of. A hierarchy is a parts of things. We are already forcing things together because we believe we believe that everyone wants to see them that way. And that's the way most of your systems in your organizations are built today. And they make you go through a series of steps because it's a hierarchy. First you do this, then you do that, then you do that. Now, what would be the example, essentially, of a hierarchy in a salad bar? Somebody says, hey, we've got 11 different salads. Any questions? This one has lettuce, tomatoes, onions, cucumbers, and radishes. This one has uh, uh, chicken, uh, romaine lettuce, onions, and pickles. It's all clumped together already. And this is what most of you see in your applications. But, of course, that is changing in the digital world that we're going into. Probably most of you either have or have experienced, essentially, a small device called a smartphone. And there's some debate about the word smart, but that's okay. Radically different than what you see in your business today in large organizations. Your smartphone is essentially a more mature device. You push a button, something happens. You push another button, something happens. It's organized differently for each person. Mass customization and quantities of one is what we see in the cell phones. And that's what you're looking for in this information age. Now, there's science behind this. There's learning behind this. But, of course, you can probably guess there's a momentum against it. There's a momentum against it. Because all the incumbent players in the Internet age don't want to hear what you and I are talking about. So all the incumbent players that are in the Internet age really don't want to hear what you and I are talking about today because there's a fundamental change that is going on. We believe the players are going to be different because the key in the information age is going to be information classification, not just computer science that are there. So what we've talked about so far in these age attributes in detail is two of the 12 attributes that we see are required to understand this new age that we're going into. And these are, of course, as you can tell, from a technology perspective, but also from a business perspective, because you as a business organization will be able to harness these things. So just quickly, what are those other elements that we're going to be coming that we're going to be covering in other broadcasts? We're going to be talking about the output that comes out of the information age which is a little bit different than what comes out of the information, the internet age. What's the energy source, so to speak? What drives essentially the information age that is different than the internet age?
something that may be of interest to all of us. What's the basis of wealth? Is there going to be a shift from the Internet age to the information age as where the basis of wealth is? What is the differentiator? What's going to be the differentiator in this information age? And we see some of this shifting going on just as a preview right now. You see organizations that are gearing up to get content, content, in other words, movies and and, uh, audio and music and shows and things like that. All of these elements are involved that are essentially the new basis of wealth. And what makes a difference is going to be that intellectual capital ownership and dominance. That's going to be the key in this new information age. The work is going to be defined differently. This is going to be a major shift in the workforce area. It's a different series of people that will probably involve. It doesn't mean people can't transition and get a new education or different education, but especially moving from the industrial age through the Internet age, huge difference in using just brawn to do things versus brain cells in addition to brawn, you know, that is there. What are we doing? What are we actually doing? Well, in the information age, we're informing, and that's, as you'll see, a very different than what we were doing before. We thought we were doing something like this, but we were actually providing data versus information. Again, we'll be covering that in a series coming up. We believe that the organizational structure will also have essentially a large change going on because of the way that things happen, the way that things work. There's a cooperative relation required for a lot of different sources. The means of transportation is the 11th attribute that we're going to be talking about. How are you and I going to get stuff? And we see, of course, uh, those changes going on right now. There's technological changes, of course. There's delivery mechanisms um, that, you know, that are there. And the final attribute state uh, uh, element is going to be where is the marketplace? Where is the marketplace? Where is business going to actually be conducted? And it'll be, you know, people say, well, all over the place. Well, what does that mean? What does all over the place actually mean? So we have the dominant technology, the icon that will be the sort of the information age icon, the science behind this, the output that we're going to be using, what is output in the information age, what's the energy source, energy source, what's the basis of wealth that we're going to be looking at, what makes a difference in this new age, how are we going to define the work that's out there, what are we actually doing in the information age that's different than the internet age? What's the organizational form going to look like? What's the lo- means of logistics? How are things going to be delivered? And finally, where is the marketplace? And the phrase that we've sort of coined to cover all of these areas is BIO, bio engineering and transformation that the business is going to go through. We have the business activities, which are the B, the information activities, which are the I, and the organizational activities, which are the O. 
And all of these are like a three-legged stool as we move into the information age. Whether you call it the information age or the digital transformation age, lots of different phrases that people are talking about right now, we believe it is going to be a, a transformation or a transition that is going on. And all of us are going to experience ups and downs. And one of the things we know from an organization perspective is people are relatively uncomfortable in essentially transition states throughout history because of displacement that goes on, education that goes on. All of these things essentially are troubling to us as we move forward because there's disturbances in the force, (laughs) as we see from some of the Star Wars and Star Trek episodes of the past. So in summary, we are moving from the industrial age through the internet age into the information age. And this program is geared toward you, the business professional or the technology professional that are looking for understanding in this new area with no hype and no pretend and no hidden agendas, bringing method to the madness that's out there on the internet today.